Uh, my comments are going to be brief and uh, more by way of introduction and setting the table. I want you to fully benefit from um, Lisa's presentation uh, today uh, in this seminar as well as the two following. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a context uh, by way of personal testimony. Because in 1985, I was a student at Los Angeles Baptist College, now the Master's University. Uh, and I was invited to be a part of uh, a, a summer missions trip to go to the country of Brazil. I signed up for all the wrong reasons. My motivation was not about advancing the gospel. I, if you'd asked me, I would have told you that was the correct answer. My real heart motivation was I wanted to travel, adventure, and I wanted something that would set me apart from my friends. Some of us are old enough to remember the days before short-term missions. And uh, many of us had never been on a plane. We didn't know anybody who had actually traveled outside the country. And as a young man who didn't have his priorities right, I signed up for this trip because I wanted to travel. I wanted to do something my friends hadn't done. Um, the leaders of that trip, it was a musical team uh, that traveled all throughout the country of Brazil. Uh, we had an air pass on Varg, the national airlines, and we went from church to church and did musical concerts. And I was asked to not only sing, but to preach. And I'll never forget sitting in a, in a little uh, church pastored by Stan Best, uh, the old missionary uh, who'd authored a number of children's books on missions. It was his church, and I was preaching out of Acts chapter 16. It's a great text to preach to believers because uh, my outline was simple. What do you do in times of difficulty? Uh, they praised and they prayed. That was basically the response of Paul and Silas. And that was my encouragement to believers uh, from the text. But, of course, it goes in that wonderful uh, occasion where the Philippian jailer asked the most important question that anyone could ask. What must I do to be saved? And, of course, uh, Paul provides a very clear answer to him. And uh, in those days, uh, we gave altar calls. And so I remember in that little church in Belen giving an altar call. And I'm sure it was because Americans were there, and that was unusual that a lot of guests had come and people had um, planted seeds. But that night, in response to the invitation, five people came forward and prayed to receive Christ. Now, I had a whole bunch of other uh, ambitions in my heart. When I got home, I was going to pursue a career in law. I wanted a nice brick uh, colonial uh, home on the outskirts of uh, Alexandria, Virginia. I had my car picked out. These were all the things that I was going to do for God. Um, but I sat down in that the, the first pew after everybody had left uh, that small uh, little sanctuary, and I just began to weep. And I began to realize the thing I was, one, the most afraid that God would call me to do, and the thing that I thought was the last thing uh, I wanted God to call me to do really is the greatest thing he could ask any of us to do, and that was to uh, bring the gospel and to proclaim it clearly so that people can respond and come to faith in Christ. And that really created... Um, a life-changing trajectory for me because I came back to Los Angeles Baptist College that fall and it had become the Master's College. And John MacArthur had become president and he brought a man named Bob Provost to uh, come and lead the institution. And Bob had been in China. You've heard the story when John was asked to become president and Bob was really committed uh, to missions and to mobilizing uh, not just pastors but people in the marketplace. He has a business background. And so he wanted to see how we could go into uh, closed access countries in, in using our vocations to do that. And so I came back from Brazil, already convicted that I didn't have my priorities right, only to meet Bob Provost, which many of us could tell this story. Uh, God used him uh, to redirect us. And it, but what was my passion was if God had used a short-term trip to change my heart, 
and get things in order, then I'd love to be useful to him to give other students and others uh, in churches the, the experience that I had had where they could come face-to-face with those um, who need to hear the gospel. And so that began a commitment on my part. As long as I was in school, I was going to spend every summer just leading summer missions trips to take others and to give them the opportunity. So I did that for seven years, completing uh, my studies at uh, the college and then went on to the seminary. And um, through those years, I just became convinced because I talked to a lot of missionaries who had had a very negative experience with their short-term missions ex- experience. Those were the days where mission agencies just recruited and put teams together from around the country. People didn't know each other. They might come together for two days before boarding a plane to spend several weeks together in a foreign country. And um, I, I became convicted that we needed to do a better job. If we were going to invest our resources, human resources, financial resources, and uh, serve our missionaries, then we had to look carefully at what our motivations were in short-term missions. We had to look at what we were doing in training for short-term missions. And I told the teams I worked with for all those years, when you get ready to leave, if the missionaries don't say, please come back, when, when will you come back? then you failed. And many of the missionaries in, at that time had had such a bad experience with short-term missions programs. And the problem was we were promoting STM trips with, with the wrong motivation. We were saying to the people who came, this is going to change your life. This is about you. Well, guess what? When they got into a foreign country, they believed what we told them. This was about them. And so they lived that way. And uh, it became very difficult sometimes for the missionaries to, to manage. And then we realized that if we're not careful and we don't have something genuine to offer that advances the work there that the missionaries are doing, then we're actually competing with their time and their effort. And we're bringing sometimes some real foolishness from the West that, that we're imparting uh, in ignorance to uh, their nationals and only creating more challenges for them with regard to discipleship. And so... Uh, the more I got involved in, in short-term missions, I realized the responsibility is far greater than any of us really understood going into it. And out of that uh, came a set of convictions that if we were going to do short-term missions at the college, we needed to take that responsibility more seriously. And so uh, we began to develop uh, a leader training program uh, for men and women uh, to lead those teams. We did a lot of training, not just on cultural preparation, but also things like peacemaking how to deal with uh, sin biblically, uh, all those kinds of things, so that uh, when they were on the field, they weren't high maintenance for the missionaries, and if anything, they, they alleviated some of the stress, anxiety, and were such a blessing to them, their kids, and to the people in their church, that they would ask us to consider returning. That, to us, was an indication that we had fulfilled uh, our responsibility. One of the great, great joys I've had uh, in those years of working uh, at the college was the people I got to work with. And there's no one that I've come to trust more with regard to short-term missions than Lisa LaGeorge. Uh, We've worked together, as I said before, uh, in the sanctuary for over 20 years together. Uh, Not only is Lisa like an aunt to my kids and a sister to Lisa and I, I've watched her serve and minister. I got to be an advisor on her uh, dissertation. Uh, as she was completing her Ph.D. in intercultural education. And so not only am I proud of her, I've learned a lot from her. And she's phenomenal in the classroom. And she, in our context, is one of the best people. Uh, She shares all of our values, uh, biblically, theologically, role of women, all those kinds of things. 
Uh, she's right where we're at. Um, but I think she's one of the best instructors uh, in preparing of people who go on short-term missions uh, trips from a cultural perspective to think through that uh, very carefully. And so um, I'm really glad to be here today. Uh, I'm going to stay and stick around because I want to hear her teach as well. But, but we've been doing this together for a long time. And uh, I'm glad you're here today. I want you to benefit from all that she's prepared. So Lisa, come and hand the mic to you. I am glad to be with you. Um, and uh, I am delighted to be here serving the TMAI. I have learned much from Dr. Tatlock over the years. I was trying to calculate out how many pots of coffee I made for his office. And I think, um, I think over the six years that he and I served directly together, uh, I probably made over 3,000 pots of coffee for you. Um, yes. So there's a, some long days uh, in serving together. But I came to the university with some experience in short-term missions. Uh, I was part of that er those early days of SDM. And uh, I was actually homeschooled during high school. And so my parents said, hey, we want you to interact with real people. So let's send you on a missions trip. <laughs> Little did they know that that wasn't necessarily real people at that point. But so I spent two summers while I, was in, while I was in high school in Papua New Guinea serving with Bible translators in New Tribes Missions and grew to love the mission field even more than I did growing up in a home that loved missions. And uh, so uh, over the next several years, I worked with national pastors, with Bible translators, orphanages, uh, youth camps, did an internship in Alaska, served with uh, leading high schoolers on short-term missions, and then also uh, finally as a missionary on the field receiving short-term missions teams. So some of those bad experiences that Dr. Tatlock mentioned that missionaries had had, I got to have on the field where uh, I was actually in a remote location in Alaska, and uh, the, the teams had to, to depart by boat. And so sometimes you would stand on the beach waving and saying, thank you, Lord, they're gone, <laughs> right? And so I, had, I developed this distaste for short-term missions in those years. Um, I, as I traveled by myself, I would watch groups of young people traveling together. Um, they would all have the matching t-shirts and bags hanging off of every limb. Uh, they were loud in the airport. They wore combat boots in a society that didn't wear shoes. They were boastful of their experiences, proud of where they'd gone. And when they returned, they talked about how backward the fields were, right? You'd, you'd hear the, the presentations in the churches and they'd say, oh, we went in, we these all-powerful, all-wise 18-year-olds went into this community and we taught them how to do life in ministry. And so I began to become more and more distrustful of short-term missions. I saw pictures that people had taken, photo scalps, I refer to them as, the pictures of white uh, teenagers with black children with dirty faces and runny noses around them. Um, or unfortunate bathroom situations, right? Those pictures of, those of the outhouses that show just how much these American teenagers gave up in going and sacrificing on the field. They didn't speak the language. They didn't know the culture. I didn't know the language and the culture when I was traveling. I had a hard time getting out of bed, let alone knowing how to lay brick 
to, to build a school in the Dominican Republic. We called ourselves missionaries at 18 and 19 years old. We read books that were called Vacation with a Purpose or Adventure Missions, or we joined organizations called the World Race, and we called ourselves missionaries. And as I began to look at this and say, how can we make this thing better, this short-term missions thing better, I ran into a little story that was told by one of our African brothers who was talking with someone who teaches and, and leads short-term missions. And she had asked him, what is it like working with our missions teams? And he said, let me tell you a story. He said, uh, we have this story in Africa about elephant and mouse. And elephant and mouse are great friends. And uh, one day, elephant said to mouse, let's, let's throw a party, and we can show the world how grand our friendship is. And we'll, we'll celebrate, we'll eat together, we'll, we'll demonstrate our love. And so they ate, and they danced, and they celebrated their friendship. And after everyone had left, elephant said, mouse, wasn't that amazing? Isn't it just fantastic that we could celebrate together our friendship? Mouse? Mouse? Where are you, mouse? And there at his feet, mouse was trampled in his exuberance. That, our, our African brother said, is what it's like to do missions with you Americans. We are mouse, and you are the elephant. And so I've come to think of short-term missions as this idea of dancing with the elephant. How can we make this elephant a little more nimble in serving the church in the years? And so today we're going to talk just briefly in this session about the background of short-term missions and the purpose for it. Uh, what kind of impact does it have on different parties? In the second session, we're going to take a chance and actually look at um, complete manuals that will help you work through training your leaders and training your team members. And I've put together some foundational papers that will, uh, that will help you. And then the third session, I'm bringing in three missionaries who uh, I value and have worked with over the years. And they're going to be sharing with you their experience of what it's like to dance with this elephant. And hopefully by the time we get done today, you'll have a better understanding of how we can promote the local church, not only the church here in the U.S., but the church that we're going to serve with. Short-term missions is a recently is a recent phenomenon. 1900, um, I, I teach a course in missionary biographies at the university, and uh, I have read hundreds, literally, of, of uh, biographies. And I can find two examples uh, until 1900 of people who actually used short-term missions. The first is a man by the name of R.C. Chapman, which if you're a fan of our friend Alex Strout, he has written extensively about him. Uh, R.C. Chapman used to go and walk the, the um, roads of European cities close to him. And he would do that for a month at a time, sometimes take some of his young leaders from his church, and he would share the gospel with people. And he would invite them to, to repent and come to know Christ. So R.C. Chapman is one example of that. Another example in, through 1900 is a uh, hospital in uh, India. And this hospital began to recruit young nurses uh, from England to come and, and spend time in the hospital for one or two years. And so many of those nurses returned home, got their affairs in order, and returned long-term to, uh, to India to serve for the rest of their lives. 
In about 1910, you see another example, a woman by the name of Lilia Strotter, who was a Victorian heiress uh, who left everything, including a very promising painting career, and moved uh, to, uh, that would be like watercolor paints, not wall paints. Um, uh, she, she moved to North Africa and began to establish uh, gospel witness in North Africa, in Algeria. And she wrote in her journal that she had invited some young women of, uh, of independent means who, if heart and hand be ready, will serve alongside us. And those young women came and served with Lilius and her mission bands uh, as women who, who could um, help in the house. They would provide hospitality for people who were visiting. They would make tea, clean the house, etc. And they came for six months at a time. Very, very few examples prior to, uh, to our day today. Around 1950, this began to change a little bit. Mission agencies, with the advent of easy commercial flights, began to say, let's get some of our donors to some of our fields, and perchance the Lord would loosen up those pockets a little bit, and we can build more hospitals and, and build more uh, radio towers. And so mission agencies would take maybe one or two trips every other year or so from 1950 on, and they began to take donors overseas. Um, and these were mature specialists, right? They were people who had skill sets that were necessary on the field to wire electrical buildings and, and help with radio and construct buildings that were going to, to withstand the, uh, the difficulties of life in those communities. But by 1960, there were a number of people who began to say, well, why should it just be the specialists who get to go? Let's start sending youth. Youth culture, 1960, was beginning to grow, right? And the, the um, Jesus People USA and all of the, the beach culture here in California began to grow. And in 1961-62, the first short-term mission agency that, that targeted short-term people um, were f was founded, and that was Youth with a Mission, 1961-62. And over the next 10 to 20 years, several of these agencies were formed that specifically targeted short-term uh, short youth, and then agencies around 1980 began to develop their own programs of sending people overseas. And this is where I kind of stepped into this, was in 1988 when I went with New Tribes Mission to see their ministry, and I spend two months in, uh, in Papua New Guinea. Around 1990, churches also began to get on the bandwagon, and that's where most of you, I would imagine, are sitting, right? You're coming from your local church saying, hey, we're doing this, or we want to do this, how do, we, how do we do this in such a way that's going to serve our people, that's going to serve our fields, how do we do this? And so churches began to explore short-term trips, and they began to send people. Around 19, uh, 1988-89, there were approximately 170,000 people from the United States who were going out overseas on mission trips. Okay, so that's 30 years ago, uh, about 170,000. Today, there are 1.5 million who go annually. And so this is a behemoth that we have got to get a handle on. As churches began to, to say, well, we're going we're gonna to send people, they actually started to say, well, who's got time to go? The youth, 
right? They've got lots of vacation time. Academic calendar is the best calendar in the world. Can I just tell you that? You get a month of Christmas, you get two months off of the, the summer, right? Lots of time to burn. Whereas the mature specialists who are in the churches only have maybe 10 days, two weeks that they could be gone. And so the churches began to send youth to their mission fields. And as a matter of fact, it became a part of the church's youth minister's job description. Are there youth pastors in the, in the room today? There's a few in here, right? It may be a part of your very job description on paper to say that you are responsible for short-term missions at your church. Let me read to you a, uh, a quote here from Bob Priest. Bob is a professor now at Taylor University. He was at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for a number of years. And uh, he has done probably the most extensive research in short-term missions that's available today. He says this in a, in a uh, study entitled, They See Everything and Understand Nothing. Uh, he says this, short-term missions today is a core part of youth ministry. The very job description of youth pastors and indeed of many associate pastors of mission, uh, or missions pastors includes the requirement of organizing and leading short-term missions trips at home and abroad. STM is a core part of the internal discipleship ministry of local churches, uh, particularly um, because of the, the spiritual benefits to the sending church and trained members. You see that? The spiritual benefits of the sending church. Uh, by, two, by the year 2000, as we continue this history here, uh, a lot of churches were sending the majority of their youth abroad. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I did a study in uh, 2000, actually we did a survey of our incoming students. Incoming students at the Masters University in the year 2000, 74% of those students had already been on one or more international short-term trips before they went to college. So that's 18-year-olds. 74% of the church's 18-year-olds had already gone overseas. That has dropped. Something's happening in short-term missions, and I think people are beginning to realize maybe this isn't everything that we thought that it was going to be. And two years ago, our incoming class, when I surveyed them, only 48% of them had gone on a trip. So that's actually declined, and I see that decline as an actually, actually a healthy thing for the church, and we'll talk about why that is. But we have got to ask, why do we send people on these short-term trips? Uh, the average trip today uh, that goes out from an evangelical church is eight days long. I don't know about you, but I can hardly um, turn my cell phone off in eight days, right, and stop twitching and start to, start to actually think about where I am, right? And so when we send students overseas, it's four days of jet lag, one day they feel good, and then two days when they're already saying, I can't wait to have an In-N-Out burger in two days, right? And so eight days is a very, very short period of time to send anyone anywhere. But what's the purpose of sending these trips? That's what we're asking here. What's the purpose? History's given us a few of these reasons, but we also see some others where churches have said, this is a major part of our spiritual development of our youth and of our church members. It causes so much personal growth when we send a student overseas. Sometimes I've had pastors tell me, oh yeah, we take whoever wants to go because kids get saved on these missions trips. Kids get saved on these missions trips. 
what's our goal? What's the purpose of sending these trips? Is it to straighten out troubled youth? Is it, um, is that really what missions is about? Does short-term missions done in this manner simply turn short-term, turn the mission field, the overseas mission field, into a spiritual development arm of the church, like Awana or Winter Camp? And so we have to ask, why and how are we sending these people? Well, sometimes there's good theological reasons people give for why we would send short-term missions. This is my favorite, right? So, um, Theological reasons. Why would we send short-term missionaries out? Well, because Jesus sent short-term missionaries out. He told his disciples, go out into the communities in Israel and preach the kingdom. The kingdom's coming. People who tell me this, I said, yes, but check the next verse. Are you also sending them out without an extra tunic and a bag? And are you sending them to find a man of peace to stay with? Right? Well, Jesus sent short-term missionaries out, so that's why we send short-term missions. Um, or uh, Acts 8 talks about believers going into different communities, and as they went, as they were scattered, they went preaching along the way. And that's reasonable. That was a result of persecution. Not exactly the same thing we're doing here, right? Um, or Paul's missionary journeys. Paul knew the countries that he was going to. He knew the culture. He knew the language. So maybe Paul's missionary journeys aren't exactly a good model for us either. Or this is my favorite one. Well, Moses sent the 12 spies into Canaan, right? <laughs> Ten were bad and two were good. Um, and that doesn't exactly help us either. And you can actually find these in books. I've not given it to you in your resource sheet that you'll get in, in the third session. But this is actually in books that encourage churches to do short-term missions, this type of hermeneutics. But as Pastor John said earlier today, we are all under the Great Commission. So what does it look like for us to do this well? Well, another reason that people come up with for doing short-term missions is a thirst for adventure. Um, there's an organization in, uh, in Texas that recently ran an a, um, advertisement in a, in a youth workers magazine. And the headline was, Missions Should Be Fun. Yeah, malaria, um, getting chased out of villages, jet lag, all of those things are a part of this. Missions, I see nowhere in the scriptures does it say that missions should be fun. Uh, one agency actually said that short-term missions taps into people's spiritual need for pilgrimage. So just like Hajj or just like um, Australians do a walkabout or American teenagers go on spring break to Miami, so Christian youth should go on a short-term missions trip because that's going to feed some of the needs. It's a new rite of passage for young people to go on a short-term missions. And agencies have said, this is another one of those reasons for why people say we send short-term missions, Agencies have said, well, if we can just get short-term missionaries out, we'll get more missionaries, right? And it is true. Approximately 70% of the people on the mission field today have been on a short-term trip prior to their time going on the field. But the short-term missions trip isn't necessarily the cause of that happening. And there's been very little research into what, um, what impact 
the, the short-term mission trip has on long-term sending of missionaries. I think there's, there's some work coming out, and I can, give you, I can give you little bits and pieces here and there, but there's not a, a definitive uh, study that says, yes, those who go on short-term missions trips, at the end of their trip, they say they want to become missionaries. Fields are looking for, uh, for long-term missionaries, and so this has just become one more pragmatic answer for them to say, well, if we could just get people overseas, they'll become missionaries. Well, I want to just draw out for you a little bit um, and give you an idea of what um, of some of the impacts as we're thinking about That's not what it's supposed to look like, is it? Okay, well, we'll, we'll make it work. You, you guys can imagine with me. Um, if we're looking, oh, that was that light, not this light. Thank you. If we're looking at the team, right, the team has a dramatic impact on not, not just themselves and those friendships that are produced, but there is impact that happens in lots of different areas, right? So we could say the host. We can start with the host being one of the first impacts that's there. And when we start looking at, at the host, uh, the host impact comes in a lot of different ways, right? The, uh, the host neighbors are impacted. When you send eight loud youth or even eight loud adults uh, to a neighborhood, that's going to impact the neighborhood, right? For better or for worse. Um, so the neighbors are impacted. The church, the church is impacted. Businesses associated with the missionaries are impacted. Uh, students who may come to the church for an English class or for something else, um, they're impacted. The supporters of the host missionary is impacted. Um, the, uh, the families of the missionaries, that's okay, we'll make it work, thanks. Um, the supporters of the missionaries are impacted. The families are impacted. And that's one of the things I want our host, our um, panel to talk about this afternoon. What impact does a short-term missions team have on the families of the missionaries? One of the folks on the panel is actually going to be a missionary kid himself in addition to being a missions pastor, so he'll be able to speak to that. And the church, the church is impacted. Well, there's also, um, there's also some team leaders. Uh, so your team leader is impacted. There should be some sort of development and leadership that takes place in the process of a team leader saying, well, how do you, how, how do we do short-term missions? Uh, the home church or the sending church. My marker's dying. It's not so sharpie. Uh, so the sending church is also impacted. Uh, and this is where we've found with our students at the university, as we send them out, they are, uh, they are impacted in a number of different ways. Uh, they, students who have gone on our trips are more likely to be friends with international students. They're more likely to be elders in charge of small groups. They're more likely to be on the missions or outreach committee of their church. Uh, they're more likely to participate in adoption, both uh, locally and internationally. Uh, they're more likely to support missionaries who are on the field. And for students within our program, when I did a comparative study of those who had gone with our teams of uh, with our alumni of those who had not gone with our teams, one in seven of our students who had gone on a team became a missionary. 
For those who had not gone on our teams, one in 20 of them became missionaries. And so we began to see that there's something at play here. It's not just good teaching that they were receiving in the classroom or from the pulpit. It's there's something else going on with the training. Um, and so the home church or the, the sending uh, the sending entity, in our case, the, ho- the home church in conjunction with the college, uh, is impacted. And another impact that comes up is uh, the people who support the team. So the supporters of the team tend to have um, tend to have an impact where they begin to recognize this is what the Lord is doing in these locations. Uh, and some of them actually begin to say, how can I support the missionaries we work with? How can I begin to, uh, to contribute my time or my money to those folks? Um, for me, even, uh, it, was, it was an amazing thing. My parents had supported missions my whole life. When I went as a 15-year-old on a missions trip, uh, my parents had said to each other, they didn't say it to me, but they said to each other, she'll never raise the funds. And this will just be, you know, this is a nice thing for her to do. And at the end of the summer, when all of the funding had come in, and it had come in double, and I came back with all of these stories of what the Lord was doing, my parents were both challenged to go the next summer on a short-term trip themselves. And they both have really solid skills to be able to offer. I mix cement. That's what I can do really well. Right? My mom was a teacher, my dad is a businessman, and they were able to really uh, bring some skills to the field that they ended up in. And, uh, and we began to see their hearts change for their own involvement in missions. Um, and when they retired, sold their business, they ended up working, volunteering full-time uh, for a mission agency. And so it's been a delight to see my parents even impacted by that. So sending church, host, team leader, the team member themselves, the supporters uh, of the short-term team, all of these folks are impacted by a team. So if this many people are impacted by this, we'd better get it right. How do we do this thing, this short-term missions thing, in a way that honors the Lord? And as Pastor John said, we are all under the Great Commission, and that's got to be where we start. So I've handed out to you a, uh, a sheet today. If there's anybody who doesn't have the sheet, raise your hand. We can get you one. There's a few of them here. Thank you. Um, we've handed out a sheet here. This, this is a philosophy that uh, we have worked with at the college, and I believe it actually crosses the lines to the local church. Uh, and the first element of our philosophy of how we're going to do short-term mission uh, is that we have a God-glorifying mission. Everything we, need, we do needs to come out of the idea that God is the reason that we do this. He's the reason that we're sending out teams. He is the purpose for what we do. It's very clear. The Great Commission teaches us that our job is to make disciples wherever we go. So as those opportunities come up, we need to have that in our thinking. It's not just when we go on short-term missions, though, frankly. It's when we go on vacation, right? It's when we go to the grocery store. It's when we're standing in line at Walmart and there's strangers in front of us and behind us. I do a a project with my students that I call Talking to Strangers. For those of you in here who are moms, I apologize, but I tell them, you're at university now. Your mom's not here. I'm telling you, talk to strangers, (laughs) okay? 
And so we as Christians need to get into the mindset that whatever we're doing, as we are going, we are under the call to make Christ known. But secondly, and I think this is where, this is where we get off, uh, off track many times in our short-term programs, we need to have a field-driven partnership. Field-driven partnership. Teams are servants in the ministry to the hosts who are already serving. Teams will be formed to meet the requests of the field in a way that promotes the progress of the host church without developing a dependency on the host church or, um, or a dependency on the sending church. Too often we start the other way where we say, hey, what do we want our kids to experience? Ah, oh, we want them to go to Madagascar because Madagascar is cool and it has lemurs. And we want our students to actually uh, recognize that. And we want, oh, and, you know, maybe they can do VBS while they're there or something, right? And so we begin to say, how do we want our students to be impacted rather than our friend in Madagascar coming and saying, hey, I could use a group of students who know something about literacy to come and be willing to hike 35 miles into a community to teach literacy by teaching the scriptures chronologically from Genesis to Revelation. When you start with that, it becomes a whole different scenario. So field-driven. Now, not all missionaries do this naturally. It's, um, it's actually been one of those things where I think we've conditioned them. We here on these sending churches have conditioned our hosts to just say, well, just send us a group to do VBS. That's all we really need. Um, so work with your missionaries and help them recognize that there are other things that skilled professionals can actually help them with. Uh, I had a group of students who were, uh, who were business majors who were knocking on my door saying, we're interested in business overseas uh, that would support missions. How can we get some experience in this? So one of our missionaries said, hey, we, we've got an idea. We don't know if it's short-term missions trip worthy, but our idea is there are all of these NGOs in our community in Lilongwe. And uh, we want to know who these organizations are and what they provide. Because when people come into the church, for example, we have a blind person who came to our church, the missionary told me. And uh, we want to um, know, how can we help this person read, learn to read Braille? Where can they find teams in this community? And, but we don't know who to send them to. So we took this group of business majors we sent them out into the community in Lilongwe for six weeks, and they began to take down names. They would see a, a van drive by, a white van, and it would have the name of an organization on the side. And then they would call that organization. They would go in. They would do an analysis of the organization. They'd take pictures. They'd try to understand what they do, and they put together a whole workbook that provides the church in Lilongwe with 75 different organizations that get involved in different areas. And so the, the church is able to use that. That's one way that we can help our missionaries glean. Do you want to put on a medical clinic? Great. Are there doctors in your church that would be able to go and help? Um, are you looking to do a, va a vacation Bible school? What if instead of us sending you a team to do vacation Bible school, instead we send you three educators who can teach your people how to do vacation Bible school. Help your missionaries glean about ways that they could use people in your congregation. 
third gospel-centered vocation. Yes, evangelism. That should be a part of what we do. But in places where language are difficult, language, language is difficult, there's that barrier, um, we need to go in with an understanding that we are speaking the gospel to people as we are doing the professions that God has called us into. So yes, youth should go, but not just youth. Let's send some professionals, some, some doctors, some police officers who can talk about justice. Maybe some uh, dietitians or nutritionists who can help uh, bring up the, um, the malnutrition rates in a community. We understand that the gospel is a part of not only what we do, but it's also, uh, not only what we say, but it's also what we do and how we act in our God-given vocations. Fourth on this list is purposeful preparation. And this is actually what we're going to talk about in the next session. Leaders and teams have to receive training to promote a better understanding of the gospel of missions and the specific setting of the host church. They need to explore the, the country and the culture of the country that they're working in. And so we're going to take time next session. That's all we're going to talk about is training leaders and training team members to work within this philosophy. And then finally, simple stewardship. Uh, this is an element. I love to camp. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love to camp. And one of the, the mottos of camping here in the United States is leave no trace, right? Uh, small footprint is the idea. And so as we're working with our short-term missions trip, what does it look like for us to go in and have a small footprint? Uh, I was studying a field in, in Peru recently that received a number of short-term missions trips, sometimes teams of 40 and 50 uh, individuals who would come for 10 days and they'd stay in the five-star hotels. Uh, and this was a short-term short -term trip. What does that look like to a, to a pastor who's making $30 a week when the short-term missions trip is paying $200 a night and they are coming down to sacrifice and be in the community. So how do we steward the money that the Lord provides for our trips in a simple way that doesn't distract people from the name of Christ and the gospel? So that's where we're headed. That was a, uh, a century worth of a breeze through of this ginormous thing that we call short-term missions. It asks a, a lot of questions. Hopefully in the next session we'll be able to give you a few more answers about how you can make short-term missions more productive for your fields and more field-driven and more focused on the gospel as we speak to people and as we do the work that God has called us to. So thank you for your attention, and uh, we'll see you in a bit. <laughs>